Hello, my name is Garrison Lovely, and I'm not that interesting, but this is the most interesting people I know. Conversations on science, ethics, and politics. My guest today is Tobias Leonard. Tobias is the author of How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach, which has been translated into five languages. He's also the co-founder of ProVeg International, which aims to reduce the consumption of animal products by 50% by 2040. Tobias also writes a vegan strategist blog, where he shares strategies for convincing people to reduce their animal product consumption. On today's episode, we spend a lot of time discussing his book. We specifically discuss the difference between pragmatism and idealism in animal advocacy, why intentions matter less than we think, vegalomania, and whether a vegan diet is really the healthiest, when behavior change leads belief change, how vegetarians reduce almost as much harm as vegans, how reducitarians do more for animals than vegans, how much easier it's gotten to be a vegan, veganism's bad brand and why so many people hate on them, a thought experiment for vegans, why strict veganism can be counterproductive, how you can help animals without being a vegan or vegetarian, where analogies between animal agriculture and other crimes break down, how to be an effective animal advocate, and what he's most looking forward to. I found the book to be useful for vegetarians and vegan activists and people who are interested in consuming less animal products but aren't sure how. Here is Tobias Leonard. Tobias, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So uh, your book is a, a good read. It was a quick one. Uh, what's what's a core idea behind it? My core idea is um, this is a book about uh, not not why people should be vegan, but how do we get the world that we want. So it's about strategy. It's about um, how do we make sure that society as a whole um, eats less animal products or stops eating animal products altogether. And um, what I suggest or what I what I bring for that is um, what I call a pragmatic approach, which is um, different from what I call the idealistic or idealist approach that many people in the animal rights movement have. Yeah, so can we break that down a little bit further? So what's the idealistic approach? What's the pragmatic approach? Yeah, so idealistic would be, uh, in my definition, uh, it's about... Um, trying to get to the world that you want by uh, only talking about the things that you ideally want. So for instance, in this case, in the, in the vegan case, it would be talking about go vegan for the animals. That's kind of like the idealistic approach and, and, and saying that anything less than that is not good enough. While a pragmatic approach would be to talk about and to message about everything that basically works independent of any set of rules or ideology or, or in the worst case dogma so that would be talking also about things like meat reduction uh, and it would be talking about other arguments other motivations than animals because ideally uh, people in the animal rights movement they talk about doing it for the animals while i would say you could talk about anything that works uh, and lead with whatever argument that works um, assuming that um, in many cases, people will adopt uh, these other motivations, this, this animal rights motivation to care for animals, they will adopt it after their behavior change. Yeah, you spend a lot of time kind of dissuading people from focusing on motivations and intention, um, which to me, I don't know, I'm a consequentialist, so whether somebody is a vegetarian for environmental health reasons or ethical reasons or vegan, uh, same thing, I don't really care because mm -hmm. like the net effect is the same. Yeah. But it seems like you're talking to an audience where the motivations really do matter. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is part of idealism. Idealism to me, uh, one important aspect of it is wanting people to do the right thing for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, well, the right reasons, if these exist, and I do believe that they exist, or I do believe that some reasons are more important than other reasons, but they often come uh, as as post hoc rationalizations. Uh, and so it doesn't matter what argument you lead with. And, and to the animal rights community, that matters very much. I mean, um, and, and I can understand that in a way. And I too want people to care about animals because I do think that it is the best um, recipe for lasting change, for permanent change, permanent change. And in the end, we want people to care about the right things, but it doesn't matter so much uh, if they get into that for, for instance, health reasons or any other reasons. And what I talk about a lot in the book is how um, behavior change can precede attitude change. So for instance, when somebody gets into um, eating plant-based products 
for non-ethical reasons it could be because their girlfriend or boyfriend becomes a vegan or whatever or because of um, health reasons um, the thing is that their hearts and minds once they've already once they are already eating plant-based food for whatever reason to whatever degree their hearts and minds open up to um, these moral arguments so you can easily imagine that like if you already know that vegan food can taste very good you all of a sudden are much more open to listen to the arguments of the animal rights people well before you had that experience you had the, before you had the experience that vegan food can be a good thing you might be very defended or defensive against all these arguments so um, the 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 behavior change first or the experience of vegan food first is a really important thing and there at that moment the reasons really don't don't matter they don't it doesn't matter why you try that food yeah and, and so reasons do ultimately matter in the sense that people are more likely to stay vegetarian or vegan for mm -hmm. ethical reasons than people who switch for environmental or health reasons right yeah that is uh, an important aspect of it we know that uh, the ethical reasons have more um, stickiness power uh, and you will stick to it longer if you have well actually not just the animal rights reason or the ethical moral reason but a variety of reasons yeah i mean there's like the nice thing which is convergence right where the right move from a climate perspective is also the right move from a animal welfare perspective um to some extent i mean to another extent um that isn't so in the sense that like um for climate change reasons, you might be better off um, eating big animals. Um, sorry, leaving out the big animals like sure. the, the, the cows and, and switch to small animals like chickens and fish. But from an animal welfare standpoint, that is not a good thing because there's so many more lives that you give a bad life and, and that you kill in the end. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, that is always a painful thing when somebody's like, oh, you know, I stopped eating red meat or pigs or whatever for climate change reasons. And yeah. they eat more fish and chicken, which are more animals being killed for, yeah, for food. That's not a good thing, obviously. Yeah, I, I guess my point was that um, if you don't eat any animals at all, mm -hmm. that's like a lower carbon footprint than eating even like smaller animals, yeah, right? Sure, yeah. Um, and then the health reasons, I, I find these to be, I mean, I find it very hard to figure out what is true in nutrition. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we don't really know that mm -hmm. much as a species compared to a lot, a lot of other fields. And some of the claims about animals uh, or plant-based diets being like this super diet um, and it'll solve all your problems seem a little bit far-fetched to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I call vegalomania, like the idea that, that a plant-based diet will solve all your health problems. And um, it is definitely exaggerated. I think it's also hard to sell the idea or to um, sustain the idea that um, a plant-based diet is inevitably um, the best diet that you can imagine. I mean, in the first place, it's not easy to prove that. Like, how can you prove that um, a vegan diet with just a little bit of meat thrown in, like, let's say, like a steak every two months or something, how can you ever prove that that's going to be worse um, for you than, than a pure vegan diet, 100% vegan diet. So um, I think we have to acknowledge that um, the only uh, argument at this point for zero consumption of animal products is, is the moral argument, right? And um, health-wise, environmental-wise, um, just a bit of meat or a bit of animal products is probably not bad. Um, so um, that's, that's an important distinction that we have to make. And so in terms of health i agree with you like it is hard to figure out what is true and what is not etc and for health i think the only thing we have to show i mean the people who care about animals the only thing they have to show is that it is feasible to be healthy on a vegan diet because um, if it's feasible then you have all these co-benefits uh, for the environment for the animals with it um, but we don't have to necessarily show that it is the best diet. And when we do that, um, we probably are exaggerating our cause sometimes, which is not a good thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you want to make all of your claims to be like well supported by the evidence, and you don't want it to be such that if some new evidence comes out that actually like a pescatarian diet or like a Mediterranean diet is health, the healthiest, then you don't want like all of these different people to be like, oh, well, then I'll just switch back to that. You want them to like buy in for reasons, as you said, yeah. which get you to zero. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. And, and of course, it, that's possible that that happens. But um, if they're already like supported by 
the ethical arguments, they wouldn't switch back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so something you also spend a lot of time on, which you mentioned, is that behavioral change can precede uh, the ideological or the belief change. So can you just explain like a little bit what's going on there? Yeah, so um, there's different explanations possible, but like one one example of that that I like to give is um, is a study um, I forget by whom, but um, it um, it's a study where um, they presented the participants of the study with a survey of questions, list of questions about uh, um, cognitive and emotional capacities of cows and also the, um, the 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 moral value of cows. And one half of the participants they gave. Um, meat snacks like beef jerky or something to, to, to snack on and the other half they gave nuts to snack on. And what you see in the um, in the results is that the people who had the, the meat snacks they were ascribing less moral value to cows and less cognitive and emotional capability capabilities to cows than the people who had the uh, plant snacks, the, the, the nuts. So what this means is that, and, and that's what the researchers concluded, is that the, the very act of eating meat has an influence has an impact on the way you perceive the animal that you eat and animals in general. So this is an example of, of how your behavior, the act of meeting, eating meat, influences your attitudes, your perception. And most of the time, um, people within social justice movements in general, like the animal rights movement, they depart from the attitudinal change. They want to give people information so that they change their attitudes. And from there, they hope that they take this, this step towards behavior change. So the attitude change would be like, oh yeah, this is true, I care about animals. And the behavior change is actually stopping eating animals or reducing your animal consumption. Uh, and often it doesn't work like that, of course. It can work like that, but there is an attitude behavior gap. So the other way around, you can first give people a good vegan taste experience and then hope that they their um, openness increases towards these arguments and then their attitude shifts. And I, I, I talk to a lot of... Um, audiences of animal rights people, activists, basically, and in every audience, there's always people who started with um, health uh, concerns. They went vegan first or nearly vegan first or vegetarian, whatever, for health concerns. And then they learned about all the other things that have to do with that, animal um, protection and, and environmental issues, etc. And then finally, they sit there in um, the trainings that we give, Melanie, Joy and I, um, to animal rights activists for an entire weekend. They are there, they're animal rights activists, but it started with um, a, a change uh, that was initially inspired by health concerns. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I switched to a plant-based diet uh, for the most part by, for ethical reasons, because I got into effective altruism. Um, and I was initially pescatarian, now I'm vegetarian, and I was always persuaded by these arguments, but now I've become just like more radicalized because there's just no dissonance really. Uh, there's a little bit because I still consume like dairy, for example. Um, but as you mentioned in the book, like most of the benefit of giving up, uh, or most of the benefit to animals comes from going vegetarian rather than the additional marginal step of going vegan. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't neglect the the, the additional um, um, difference that that you make going vegan from going vegetarian, also for chickens, especially eggs, um, and also for for signaling to the market, whatever that. There is a, another vegan who wants these products, etc. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, the, the the main um, impact you would have already by being vegetarian. <clears throat> yeah, I think you have a quote in here from uh, Nick Cooney's research saying like 88% as many days of suffering are reduced by vegetarians as compared to vegans, and 94% as many animal lives. Yeah, yeah. So that's by far the majority. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of like similar to another claim in the book, which is somewhat provocative, but. Uh, it's just like statistically true, which is that reducitarians as a group, uh, people who consciously reduce their meat and animal product consumption, but are not vegetarians themselves, do far more for animals than vegetarians and vegans combined. Um, can you like back that claim up? Yeah, I mean, it's a very simple claim in the sense that like if you count all the reducers together, and that's about 30% of the population in many countries, including the US here, um, they have a bigger impact than that one 2% vegans. Uh, certainly if you if you 
count the vegetarians with the reducers. Um, if, but even if you count the vegetarians and the vegans together, their impact will still probably be smaller than that of the reducers. And that, of course, is something that will shift that proportion as there's more and more vegetarians and vegans. But right now, if you look at the numbers, um, it will be the reducers who, who have a bigger impact. And it isn't, this is not, of course, an argument to say that you should be a reducer. This is just an argument towards the vegans who are sometimes a bit... Um, uh, intolerant towards the reducers saying like you're still part of the problem um, this is an argument to show that all these reducers altogether they're strategically very important and they are um, not just the ones who have more impact altogether but they're also the ones who uh, can tip the system faster I think than um, a smaller number of vegans because if you look at it um, it is the reducers who drive demand because there's so many of them right and um if today, for instance, we have um, already, uh, if today plant-based milk has a 12% market share, so worldwide, that means that, that out of every 100 liters of, um, of milk, liquid milk, 12 liters of those are plant-based that are sold. Um, well, that is, of course, not because of the vegans. The vegans would have to drink milk full-time to make that happen, right? <laughs> so... Um, uh, who is responsible for that are the reducers who uh, drink plant-based milk for any reason to whatever degree and most of them actually consume plant-based milk and uh, dairy and cow's milk together uh, but it is and this is the important part it is thanks to these reducers driving up demand and increasing the supply and the variety of these products that vegans today have it easier to be vegan so the reducers make it easier to shift further and further on the vegan spectrum basically yeah that makes a lot of sense um and you give the example of people who are claiming to be gluten intolerant even mm -hmm. though like a very small fraction of the population actually has celiac disease there's some a little bit more that is gluten intolerant but not nearly as many as people claim right but this group of people has actually benefited all the people with celiacs by creating a market for gluten-free products yeah so the, the people who um um actually think that gluten-free is good for them that's that's a group of uh you could call them gluten-free reducer gluten reducers or whatever that's a group that's 10 times as big as the people with celiac disease so um and, and that's another example where um when gluten-free became kind of like this hype um, that's when companies, producers started to take notice and started to create better products, started to invest time and money in these products. And thanks to them, the really gluten-free people, the celiac disease people have a much easier time today. Yeah. And, and so there's a statistic, which is that basically the number of vegetarians and vegans has not really increased that much in the last 20 or so years. <clears throat> and you can look at different studies and how they count it. And even the people who claim to be vegetarian, one study found that I think 60% of them had eaten meat in the last 24 mm -hmm. hours. Um, so what do you make of these stats and how does that fit into the reducitarian picture? Yeah, so if you look at the stats, um, I mean, and there's some stats that say like, oh, the number of vegans increased um, so many times, so many hundred percent of times or something in the last few years. I think um, it's a bit, I mean, it looks like that, definitely, that the number of vegans goes up, and I think it does go up, but I think because we're talking so small uh, proportions of the population, 1% and 2%, that the margin of error is 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 at least as high. So if you have 2% of the population, then the margin of error is like 2% again, so it could be just as well 0%, it could be 4%. And then if you compare different years with each other and you have twice this margin of error, then it becomes really very hard to say if it's really going up. But we can very clearly say and see that um, the consumption or the demand for vegan products is going up. And that doesn't mean that the vegan, the number of vegans is going up. What is going up is the people who consume vegan products. And that's a very good thing in itself because it will um, facilitate the transition towards a vegan diet. So the more easy it becomes, the less effort that is required to go vegan, the more vegans that there will be. And sometimes I hear vegans say like, look, it's it's already easy enough. And uh, we just have to talk to people about being becoming vegan and, and show them what's what's happening to animals etc and then the world is vegan or will become vegan we just have to be clear enough about it well if that was the case i mean i think it would already be vegan i mean the world would already be vegan um that is clearly not the case so i think it is still too hard um com compassion is still too hard i mean practicing compassion practicing what you believe putting your beliefs into action into practice is still too hard i think most people care about animals but they don't care enough to make too big of a sacrifice and those who say that there's no longer any sacrifice to be make made because 
the options are everywhere. Uh, I think they're mistaken. I think you still have to go very much out of your way. And it's not because you have been a vegan for a couple of years and that by now it is very easy and very natural and second nature to you that that is the case for people who still have to start, right? So they still have to go out of their way. They have to change it kind of with their life. They have to change their relationships with family or they have to like argue with people or they have to like read ingredients and they have to basically swim against the stream. Not easy enough by far. It's not the norm. We have to create a situation where uh, becoming vegan or being vegan is the, is the, is the way of least resistance basically. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there I wanna come back to. Um, but one thing I was thinking is that the relevant metric maybe is not how many vegetarians or vegans are there, but like what is the overall share of uh, food that is plant-based versus animal-based? Yeah, and, and maybe how it is distributed among the people, like how many people are reducing how much. So I think like at some point we'll have enough people who are vegan enough. Let's just say as an example, 70% of the people are 70% vegan and then the system will just tip. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about the numbers. I don't know where, the, where this point is, but enough people eating enough vegan, at that point, things will change. I mean, prices will change, subsidy structures will change, um, the, the social acceptance is totally different. The, you, can, you can really blame people who still eat meat every day or whatever. So things will change and will go, it will go rap more and more faster. I mean, faster and faster after that. Yeah, and, and then something else that uh, I remember from the book, which you kind of touched on, is that uh, in the United States, it's really hard to think back to like a meal served by your grandparents. That is not meat-based. Mm -hmm. Like the Thanksgiving, the Christmas meal, the, you know, like the big family get-together. It's usually based around like turkey or chicken or uh, steak or whatever. And that's just not the case uh, in most of the rest of the world. There's a lot more vegetarian options. It's like main courses, right? So we kind of have to relearn this uh, this process. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like... A when I give a public talk, I always ask, I mean, in Western countries, I always ask, like, can you, can you name me one recipe, one dish that uh, you've, you've received or, or from your parents or your grandparents or, or that, you, that, that they cooked and that is plant-based, uh, a substantial dish. And, and usually nobody can say anything. They, sometimes they say like a, some, some kind of soup with something in it or some with beans in it, but, but like to name a substantial dish that's purely plant-based, that is very difficult in, in Western society. So Western societies are in a sense the, 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 the least fertile breeding ground for this thing to take off. And so, yeah, we have to kind of like relearn to cook. Yeah, but at the same time, it's also like vegetarian veganism is sort of associated with like this kind of coastal elite, like high income people mm -hmm. who like have the luxury to, yeah. to think and care about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I think that is a problem. Um, it is too expensive. It is something for people who have the time and the luxury to care. Um, to which I usually say like, okay, if they have the time and the luxury to care, that gives them the responsibility to care, you know? Um, but basically, yeah, it, it has to be democratized further. And um, what I hope is is for some kind of like trickle down effect uh, where, where, I mean, what you see with technology, where in the beginning only a few people have it and then it trickles down because it, come, because it comes cheaper, et cetera. That's something that I would hope happens also in, in, in this case of, of food. Yeah, I mean, a lot of vegans will say that like things have gotten a lot easier in the last five or 10 years with plant-based uh, meat alternatives coming up. Eventually cultivated meat will be on, uh, on the table as well. Um, I mean, you've been a vegan for a long time now. What's your personal experience with like how the market is changing? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been vegan for for twenty years, um, the, the, and I find it fascinating the way the way things have changed. Not just not just uh, the, the the market, the products on the market, but also, for instance, like I mean, you could consider this a kind of technology in a way that the recipes and and our cooking skills. You know, I remember twenty years ago that I had one. Dutch, which is my language, Dutch vegan cookbook without pictures. Uh, we tried to make like some banana pie from it or something and we failed miserably or it was inedible. And and, and back then we didn't have the, the technology to make a good vegan cake. And right now we do, but this technology is just like experience and, 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 and there's no special ingredients that we use. We just have like done iteration after iteration of vegan cakes or vegan pies and now we were able to do that uh, and just now and then we discover something new like aquafaba which is the, the the liquid from the chickpea can and we use that as a as an alternative for eggs um, but but this yeah this is an example of where we how we progress without any other financial inputs or technological inputs or something just by learning and by doing etc and um, so that's one thing and then the other thing is of course um 
is the uh, is all the the technological progress that we have uh, gone through in terms of like producing meat substitutes uh, with with extra extractors and and, and whatever um, and then later it will be cell based meat like you said um, so these these products are um, a lot better although um, I'm not sure that for instance an um, impossible burger is. Uh, half a billion dollars better than what we had before. Half a billion dollars is the money that has been invested in it. I mean, it's not that much better than than the burger we had five than a Boca burger or Garden burger that you had here already ten years ago here. Um, so I think it's 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 also perception because it's part of the hype. I mean, beyond an impossible, their their brand names that are very much hyped, um, and and they also come at the right moment. I mean, sometimes um, some things are too early. Like you know, like like a veggie burger ten years ago. If you launched it now with a lot of fanfare, etc., then it might it might do just as well. Maybe uh, although some products, of course, are, are are a lot better than they used to be. Yeah, um, I, I think that the reason for hope I see is that plant based alternatives are, are getting that much better. And you know, Impossible Meat is rolled out at Dos Toros down the street, and people are like trying it and posting about it on Twitter, and like they're not vegan or vegetarian. Um, and actually one of the more interesting things I remember from the book is that a lot of uh, places will consciously not brand as, as vegan because it's, it's kind of like a bad brand and people go like, oh, that's not food for me. Um, and I, I sometimes like will get people by talking about like, oh, like a PB&J is like the best like vegan you know, meal. And they'll think about it for a second and realize that it typically yeah. is. Um, and I don't think many people who are not vegetarian or vegan are thinking about like what their different meals are, yeah. but would maybe be surprised by what is actually available out there. Yeah. Yeah. If you look for instance, uh, at like, uh, I mean, some, some, some other kitchens or cuisines like, like Japanese or whatever, or, or, or Italian, you can have like sometimes like a pasta or, or, or some soup or whatever that is vegan and, and nobody thinks about that. And that creates, um, less resistance. Um, and people have this idea, unfortunately, still that vegan food is boring or bland or um, whatever it is, or they might be too stubborn to just try it. Um, they might have like this identity around like resisting veganism and resisting this uh, because they're not ready to confront their own guilt around it or something. Uh, um, and I think this is often the case that people feel some kind of guilt about the animal products that they eat, um, but they don't want to save, they don't want to face that. And so they're like going out of their way to like avoid <laughs> vegan products basically. And so if they not advertise as vegan, um, there's some chance that uh, some people will just, will just eat those and then maybe get confronted with the fact that they were vegan and with veganism after the fact. Yeah. And, and something um, that I'm thinking about is like, there's this really big backlash to animal activists, which I'm pretty late to the game. Um, I have a friend who is on the board of an animal charity and he doesn't have his full name on the website. And I asked him about it um, and he's like, oh, like people just hate animal activists. It mm -hmm. like, could be bad for my career. And like, wh wh what do you attribute that to? Well, I would, um, to some extent, um, animal activists or vegans can be annoying sometimes and they can be aggressive and they can be like, uh, working with guilt too much and with aggressive messages, etc. That's one thing. Um, but I think more importantly, it's just a phenomenon in general of people finding activists annoying um, in the sense that they confront them with um, where uh, sometimes they lack or they are lacking themselves. So uh, we, we call this, a, I described in my book, a phenomenon called do-gooder derogation. Mm -hmm. So you're going to look down on the person who does good. You're going to like ridicule him. You're going to be angry with them uh, because uh, they confront you with the fact that you uh, think less of yourself. Uh, I mean, just typically if, if one person eats a vegan meal, they don't have to open their mouths even, but the other person may already feel attacked um, because this signals like, um, oh, I'm not doing the good thing that you are doing and therefore I'm not a very good person. Um, I think a lot of people think like that. They may be in their heads agreeing with the fact that, um, or being, they may be okay with the fact that we kill animals for food, but most of them are gonna say, uh, these animals should at least have had a good life and they should be slaughtered painlessly and whatever. And they know that many of them know from seeing all these pictures and coverage on TV, that that is not the case with the meat that they generally eat. So they feel guilty about that. They feel not okay for 
just going on eating these things that they actually disapprove of just like i for instance i have some um issues with the fact that i'm flying and the fact that i'm that not all my not all my clothes are fair trade etc and then when i see somebody who says that they're not flying i might be um yeah i might um make an internal joke at them or something you know because i don't like the fact that they confront me with that aspect of myself uh, so i think that's part of why people um dislike um activists basically yeah I, I didn't even think about it thinking of you know animal activists as activists first and foremost and you know throughout history activists are usually despised in, in the era in which they're making the most noise um yeah and like martin luther king was like wildly unpopular during mm -hmm. his lifetime the civil rights movement was very controversial the anti-vietnam yeah. war movement had minimal support at the beginning um, but we look back on these things and it's like very clear what the moral position was in hindsight yeah but for most of the people at the time they, they were not about it yeah exactly and, and also they confront us with things that like i mean they oftentimes activists want to take something away that we enjoy um right and that's not never never pleasant um and i would say like to the vegans or the animal rights activists or whoever activist who doesn't understand this irritation with activists just think of something that somebody else does and says and where you're not on board yet you know like like there's always things that um, you're not doing yourself and where you can feel how it would feel um to i mean what it is like to be for instance uh, a non-vegan in that sense yeah i i want to come to the example of uh, bell the super locavore vegan mm -hmm. uh, i thought this was really uh, really helpful could mm -hmm. you just describe her to the audience <laughs> yeah so this is just a thought experiment or an example to 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 make people feel this so imagine there's like a, a vegan who calls herself a super locavore vegan so locavore means like eating locally right and this vegan says like well i'm i cannot be sure of um whatever food i eat that it is um is entirely vegan because it may have had um um manure on it that was from animals so it is not vegan therefore and so i'm going to only eat uh food vegan food from my own garden or maybe from f uh, friends that that have a garden that's the only vegan food i'm gonna eat and if you don't follow my example she could say then you're not a real vegan um, and that would be quite irritating to most vegans most vegans would start right away finding excuses why this is not necessary etc and of course this is a bit over top this example but i think it's it shows um that some people go further than others and that other people might get very frustrated and irritated with 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 somebody going further than them and it's always good to like position yourself or put yourself in that position so that you can understand other people basically yeah and in industrial farming, even for you know vegetables, uh, mice get killed by like wheat threshers, and there's just going to be harm in pretty much any supply chain. There's going to be the carbon impact of, of shipping the food across the country or around the world, and the super locavores avoiding that. Yeah, um, exactly. That's that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's really helpful because uh, I guess even when I was not vegetarian, I was always like, yeah, these people are right. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna except that and I just knew if I confronted the information more I, I was not at a point where I felt like I could sustainably make the jump um, and I wanted to do it and, and stick to it which you actually have some advice for for people who are like thinking about it but are worried about you know maintaining the diet and being sustainable yeah I mean I would if people want want to switch um, one thing I would advise them is like to not to, to like it take it at their own pace and to take it not too seriously i mean and to um to like not uh, fret too much or worry too much about um whenever they can't do it um because it's it's quite i mean it's quite possible that um if you want to stick to it at all costs every time everywhere um that once you make this exception that you might like just say well i failed i'm gonna give it all up in for a penny in for a pound yeah and so if and i use the example of um of ezra klein from vox um i don't know to what extent he's he's consistent now but he said at some point um i'm i'm vegetarian or i'm vegan except for when i'm traveling uh, and uh, i accept this as part of my system my identity and uh, so i make this exception when i'm traveling and then when i'm back home it's everything back to normal again and that might be i'm not like that but that might be for some people uh, a more sustainable system than telling yourself like i can never ever make an exception and 
again you do most of the work if you if you eat like that right so i mean you would be 98 percent vegan or something that uh, or vegetarian or whatever so um i would i would say yeah don't 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 try to be perfect because it's this attempt uh at at perfectionism or perfection is 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 often um a damaging thing i think and it's often like a, a, a something that would discourage you yeah i remember uh before I was vegetarian, I was on a trip in Vietnam and we were staying overnight on a boat in like Halong Bay. And um, this woman had requested a vegan meal in advance. Um, and the vegetarian option had egg in it. Mm-hmm. And like that was basically the only protein. And she was like very, very upset. Um, and I remember I was sitting at the table with her and I was sympathetic because, you know, I again believe the arguments. Um, I thought that was probably like the safer position morally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I was just like, oh man, like this, you're on a boat. You told them ahead of time, but like, I don't know if veganism is a con- uh, you know, concept in, in uh, Vietnam, yeah. at least in that part of it. Mm-hmm. And it was just this very, very uncomfortable situation. She, it kind of like ruined her, her experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can understand um, that it's, it can be hard. I mean, if I put myself in her position, then it would be something like with, um, if, if, if all of a sudden it came and it had meat in it and I really wouldn't be able to eat that I would be able to have some noodles which have some egg in it or something that that I could um, just ignore and I would be fine um, but I can imagine that there would be an option that would not be fine to me and apparently that's what this the situation that this woman was in but it's of course easier for yourself and and probably for your sustainability if 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 there are some details that you just overlook that you can just ignore you know um and for the people who for the vegans who are like so strict that they they would deny this i think there's always things you know there's always like i mean there, there's always the possibility of little things like like e-numbers or little additives or something there's there's always like some some kind of limit or some kind of uh, threshold um where you don't question things anymore you know and for some people this threshold comes comes earlier and for for others it comes later you know um and yeah there's always a person who's who's more vegan than the other vegan so um i mean it's 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 arbitrary to some extent and i would say like just just uh, a little bit of of relaxing in this would probably be a good thing for for your own sustainability and moreover it doesn't really make a difference in the real world yeah yeah i mean i i think the push for effectiveness is is welcome uh, and it comes throughout the book and you know if you think about it it's like you don't want to contribute to demand for you know animal products yeah and so i know people who are vegan but they're scavengers well they're they'll eat leftovers. Right, um, yeah. And it's like, you can't really make a consequentialist argument against that. No. Um, you could say that maybe it's like a little bit confusing to other people, but you have a good quote in there, I think from Nick Cooney saying like, I've never met anybody who was confused by like an inconsistent vegan. Right. You know, it's, it makes it more off-putting than like, they think it's like this extremely strict code that you have to follow. Yeah, I, I think um, I think that that rigidity and there's no there's I'm, I'm looking for a good word word because it's always offensive to vegans who are very very i mean strictness strictness is maybe the best word um strictness can sometimes collide with um um effectiveness in the sense that like if you're very very strict in a public place um you can turn off some people by showing them um not intentionally but showing them how difficult it is to be vegan you know like if you're in a restaurant and uh, and uh, some something is served and and you say like oh this is probably not entirely vegan i taste something strange i'm gonna send it back and blah 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 and then the food has to be thrown away etc and then the non-vegan might say like oh my god i don't want to do this i don't want to get into these socially awkward situations and 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 get food thrown away from me etc this is not for me so that's a, an example where um that strictness can conflict with effectiveness uh, and i think it's if we have to prioritize um i think effectiveness is more important than than, than personal um well purity which it is in the end right and then again i have to qualify that immediately by saying like yeah i can only go um i, I can only myself make very small exceptions i cannot eat meat or even a a, a bit of cheese or something it just disgusts me and it, it would feel bad so i'm not going to do that but i can make very small exceptions like that egg in in the noodles or something yeah and and in this example with the woman on the boat it did not make me more 
excited about giving no. up <laughs> no, all animal products. Yeah, absolutely. It like ruined your night. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a pity when, um, I mean, and you can understand that. I mean, to some extent, like it, I guess it must be like somebody who says I'm going to give up smoking, and then all of a sudden they smoke a cigarette after they've been free of smoking of tobacco for, for, for 15 years and all of a sudden they make this exception on drunken night or something and it, it bothers them, it feels bad, it, it breaks this, this yeah, this sense of, of purity that they had or whatever and, and I can understand that. Um, but to some extent it is annoying when we feel like that. I mean, we sh I mean, it would be easier for us and even better if we could maybe make abstraction of those small things. Yeah, yeah. and you write about how like what we eat actually is a very minimal part of our impact on animals mm -hmm. because we influence a lot of people around us yeah i mean so yeah this is the difference between our own consumption we can do some good with our own consumption because we we well theoretically at least save some animals um and on the other hand there is the good we can do by advocating by um all kinds of things that we can do basically including starting a business entrepreneurship um so i i mean i think like like there, there could be all kinds of people who just avoid animal products, but there, there's, there can be one person who invents an alternative to animal products. And, and that one person, by developing that alternative, maybe does more than 10 or 20 or 100 or 1,000 vegans together who just avoid uh, non-vegan products, right? Um, so, <clears throat> or, or take like somebody who, who blogs and who has like a, a readership of thousands of people or a podcast or whatever and they spread the message compared to their own consumption that own consumption the impact of that own, your own consumption is probably minor which is not to say you shouldn't be vegan or something but it, it it's about like not losing perspective and and realizing that um advocacy um is is much more important than um that 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 personal purity i think Totally, and and you've mentioned uh, charitable giving in, in the book. Um, do you have an estimate of how many animal lives are you know years of suffering are averted by being vegetarian or vegan versus like how much would be averted by a hundred dollars or like what that kind of yeah. break even quote unquote would um, be? I I can't give you numbers. Um, what I what I know is an, an estimate of the number of animals that you save in a lifetime in a normal average lifetime in, in like my country in Belgium will be pretty similar I think in America that was what we calculated at the time was about 1,800 animals that's including fish um, that you that you avoid eating um, of course they, they probably it's probably not the case that they're not being brought into the world because you avoid them i mean that's only in the longer term that demand goes down etc and it's not on like a one-to-one -one basis um and then um i mean there's i've seen estimates for like a thousand dollar donation um that could be used for um printing and distributing flyers that could could go as far as thousands of uh, i mean tens of thousands of animals being saved but these are very rough estimates uh, i think the principle is more important here than the exact than the exact numbers so so it means for instance that um i mean basically it, it means like to vegans i would say like don't criticize people who are not vegan and who do something good for animals doing good something good for animals is, should not be the exclusive privilege of a vegan right and 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 sometimes i wonder when i see like these celebrities being criticized celebrities who actually speak out for animals and are not perfect vegans um they, they're being criticized by vegans and then i think like please, I mean, think about this. When was the last time that you had an audience of 3 million people, you know? Um, I mean, you were there sitting in your house behind your, behind your computer being the perfect vegan, not eating any animal products, which is a laudable thing. But um, in terms of consequences or impact, that's very minor to what, uh, compared to somebody who like spreads the word, um, even though they're not perfect themselves. Yeah, yeah, it, it seems like a pretty bad idea for a social movement to say like you can only participate in it if you follow this like very strict set of rules yeah which like some people will say it's easy but I, as we've talked about that's not really the case for most people yeah yeah and i've seen not everybody would be like that and many organizations would welcome also non-vegans etc but i've seen cases where uh, people say like if you're not a vegan you're not welcome to participate in our activism sometimes that can make sense if you like uh yeah give a public talk about veganism and then for credibility it's probably better if you're vegan yourself um even though I, i'm not even sure if that's always the case um but um uh often it 
I don't think it makes sense. And it's it's just a matter of like, you have to be like us to join us. And, and um, that is probably not a good idea, like you say, from an effectiveness viewpoint. Yeah, so for the organizations that you're a part of, uh, would you hire omnivores or you know pescatarians or whatever? Uh, I, I um, uh, I'm actually not um, aware of the policy with um, of the the organizations that I'm part of, but I'm I'm assuming that is um, for some positions and in, in any case that might be possible. Like, um, I mean, I would let me speak for myself. Um, I would prefer. A very good non-vegan accountant above above a bad <laughs> vegan one. I mean, it's, it goes without saying, I think. Uh, but there's other functions where um, where the veganism of the person might be more important. Uh, like Public-facing yeah, roles, especially when it's public-facing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But for instance, I mean, um, sometimes, uh, like like if you assume that helping people to reduce their consumption is an important thing, and I think it is. Um, then um, a reducer might be more effective ambassador than a vegan in some cases, you know, talking about reduction. Um, because people will have of this vegan the impression, oh, this is like a vegan, another vegan telling us from on high, telling us what to do, etc. While the reducer is in the same boat as themselves, it's like on the same level um, and might be not having this um, this very um, explicit ideological aspect or dimension to it, uh, which is sometimes a turnoff for people. Um, so sometimes I think in some cases um, it, it might be better uh, not to be the perfect vegan in terms of advocacy, which is a contradiction. And I'm not gonna like stop being vegan because I might be more effective act activist and that might be to some extent irrational, but yeah, that's that's as far as I go. Yeah, I mean, so there's a reducitarian conference, which have you been to it before? Yeah, I have. So what is it like there? I'm, it's kind of a funny thing, right? Where it's like reducitarianism is kind of this half measure. Um, but the people who feel really passionately about half measures all getting in one place is kind of like this weird concept to me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, people feel passionate. I, I, I think in the first place, it's, it's full of vegans there, you know. Um, and if I would found an organization that's the Reducitarian Foundation, um, I mean, I would feel I cannot be a vegan even if I wanted to. I mean, to be credible, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, or if you're a vegan, you have to be like, hide it or something. Um, but it is it is full of people who, who are vegan, who care about this, and who think that strategically, this is just a very good um, idea to reach more people. Gotcha, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and I, I do think, you know, it's, it's a foot in the door, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say most people I know like at least identify with like oh i try to reduce and you know it's unclear how much that is actually true but even wearing that identity is is a good step right yeah and they i mean to the extent that they are reducing they are signaling in restaurants and in the supermarket that there are people who don't eat meat every day and that there's a market for them and i mean those are the people um who make up the 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 customers uh, for um, the demographic for, um, for instance, Impossible Food or, or the Beyond Burger. We know that um, the Beyond Burger, for instance, I think they, they did a test and they looked at the supermarket, I think it was Kroger's, they looked at uh, the carts of people and I think it was 93% of the cases where people had bought Beyond Burger, they had also bought meat. Um, so it goes mainly to the people who are reducing, they, they are very important for the demand. Wow, that, that's pretty amazing. I guess mm. I'm part of the 7%. Yeah. Um, where I'm still <laughs> recent enough that I like the taste of it and, yeah. and the smell and everything, but uh, you know, don't want to actually get meat. Mm -hmm. um, so it probably would have actually made more sense to do this earlier, but I think what's like underlying all of this is that there's this idealistic view of animal welfare, animal rights. Um, and given the specifics of factory farming and the way animals are treated, you can, you can make some very rhetorically persuasive um, claims about uh, what we should do. So in the book, you give the example of um, if we were talking about child abuse, we wouldn't talk about reducing it. Like, oh, like you should just not abuse your kid on Mondays, right? Like that, that's like a crazy thing. Um, and at some level, it's like, well, you know, animals are being tortured and, and killed in horrible ways at massive scale. Um, and it's not necessary for people to survive. And so like, those are the facts on the ground. And that is like a great crime. And I think the worst thing that we're actively doing as a species. But 
if you say it's like child abuse, like, like what's the problem with that kind of reasoning? Yeah, I mean, so this is a nice example of pragmatic versus idealistic. Like, let's take just a Meatless Monday campaign. The Meatless Monday campaign wants to tell people don't eat meat on Mondays, right? Um, and of course, uh, for many people who use that campaign or who use that message, that is not the ideal thing. But they believe that this might be a very good foot in the door. Now, the idealists might say, um, look at uh, the comparison, look at what happens when we make this comparison with people. You would not say to a person, uh, only uh, beat your child or whatever, and sorry for the comparison, <laughs> I, I feel I have to excuse for the comparison, don't beat your child only six days a week. Uh, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, and that sounds like a good argument, but um, until you think about it and you realize that um, child beating is something that is disproved of by 99.9% .9 of the population, at least in theory. While meat eating is not just approved of, but celebrated actively by 95% or more of the population. So you have completely different uh, degrees of public support. You have complete different um, levels of blameability. Is that is that a word? Um, like, like blameworthiness. How, blameworthiness, yeah. So, so, I mean, you cannot compare these two different things in that sense and you need different ways to talk to people about that it does not make sense to tell people um well you're only eating meat um six days a week that's that's like uh, beating your child only six days a week i mean they, they will they will think you're you're crazy um and um it might just be convincing for a small amount of people generally i would shy away from that comparison uh, at all costs it just doesn't doesn't work um, even while some people um, to some people it, it makes some kind of like intuitive sense yeah and so you know every vegetarian every vegan has been in the situation where they're at a dinner party and their diet comes up and it's a room full of omnivores what is the best way for them to talk about it yeah it's it's um i think one important aspect is to realize that a lot of people feel already guilty about their diet like i said uh, and um, if they feel guilty, that's often an alienating emotion. That's not an emotion that's going to like bring them closer. To some people, it, for some people, it will. Some people will start thinking about their guilt and don't want to feel guilty, etc. But a lot of people are going to try to like just uh, avoid the guilt, etc. So um, I think if you're a vegan, it is important to try to communicate in a way that doesn't create that guilt. It doesn't add to the guilt that people already have. And be more like a person um, that people see like, okay, this people is this person is not going to make me feel guilty. I can talk to them. I can like come with my issues to them um, and, and we can discuss this together and we can discuss solutions rather than, than blame and, and we can be, they can be uh, constructive rather than judgmental. Um, of course, it all depends like on your audience, you know, like like you will have people who will never want to um, never want to think about this or discuss this or whatever. But I think you should also realize that you're not necessarily going to get any results right there on the spot at that moment. But you can plant a seed that that will um, um, bear fruit uh, later when people start to think about it. The, the, the immediate confrontations are often not very uh, productive because people want to save face and they don't want to like look stupider than you and whatever. But if you plant like a non-violent seed, I think um, a lot of people may, may be more open and the next time they encounter this argument or whatever uh, may actually read it or listen to it, etc. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I thought a lot about you know how I would talk about it in, in a way where I was actually much more, I think, thoughtful and conscious of speaking about my diet choices and like the rest of my political views, which mm -hmm. could also be quite extreme to, to some people who aren't, you know, used to them. Right. Um, and I think it was like a consciously, like, I'm representing this group of people, and I'm sure everybody's encountered a very, very loud uh, and self-righteous vegan in, in their day, and uh, kind of like working against that stereotype, even if you think that all the arguments and all the righteousness is is on that side. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it's it's not really about like how right we feel in the moment or saying true things. It's about like helping animals the most. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, I mean, so many people, so many vegans, like to them, it's about speaking their truth and and you know being vocal and uh, standing up for the voiceless, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, that is all. I think that's not the bottom line. I mean, those are not results in themselves. The only results 
are when you have people who are actually uh, more close to change their minds and their behavior. Um, that is that. That's what results are about. Results is not speaking the truth, or is not like yeah, being very clear on veganism or whatever. That is not the bottom line. Basically, that's not the cash value. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, the, whatever argument gets gets you there, mm-hmm. um, and and there's some that yeah, people will just shut down if if they hear it. Um, I also like the uh, when talking to like a hunter. You know, you don't say, well, like hunting is fine. You know, you, you can say that hunting is like not, not great, but, you know, factory farming is so, so much worse. And framing it as uh, the alternative or the, the kind of bad guy here is like the meat industry. Um, yeah. Because very few people are going to defend those practices. No matter where, where your politics are, there's a lot of things to dislike. Yeah, this is about finding common ground, basically, and making the other person say yes. Um, so, yeah, if you talk to a hunter, um, I mean, so few people are going to like be closer to you and be more open to you when you accuse them of something people don't like to be accused that's why like meat is murder or dairy is rape or that kind of slogans um i think often they do not work and maybe it is the case that the people who are vegan right now are some kind of like the 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 low-hanging fruit um and maybe among them um there's more guilty feelings than average, than among the average population. That's why, uh, and maybe many of us have been swayed by feelings of guilt, and that's why we think that other people feel guilty uh, or, or will be swayed by feelings of guilt as well. And, and that's often not the case. And, and that's, that's a, a general um, advice in, 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 in communication that I give. Just think that you are not the audience. You are not the audience you want to reach. They are different from you in, in, in important ways. And it's not because you watch Earthlings and you went vegan that they will. Um, don't expect the same of other people than, than what happened to you. Yeah, I mean, Steven Pinker, or uh, Peter Singer <laughs> opens your book uh, at the beginning saying that, you know, at this point, people who are going to go vegan or vegetarian who haven't they probably won't be motivated because of like moral reasons like they would have been persuaded already mm-hmm. it'll be more because they've become it's become more convenient less expensive more mainstream right they go together right so i mean the more convenient and mainstream and tasty etc it is the less moral reasons that you need or other way put um, the more powerful the moral reasons will become the more effect that they will have it's like i mean Suppose that I can convince you that it's wrong to eat plants today. Um, well, that argument is not going to have much sway because uh, much power because you have no alternatives, right? And the more alternatives I give you, the more open you will be to the idea that plants might have feelings or whatever. So, um, just look salt, like, <laughs> you know. They're, they're like, what foods are not plants or animals at this point? It's like salt and. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have much. I mean, you'd have, um, maybe you could, I mean, or, or you could say like, I, I'm only going to eat the fruits of plants, like tomatoes and, and whatever, and apples, and, and uh, but not the plants themselves. I mean, basically you have not much. And there are people like that. There are people who actually do that. And they, they, they think this is the ethical thing to do. And maybe they're right. But um, I don't think we're going to have much success with those arguments yeah. because there's not much alternatives. Yeah. And, and, and so this book, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, kind of is preaching the choir to me. I, I came into animal advocacy through effective altruism first. So effectiveness was always first and foremost in my mind. And you know, that's just kind of how I think about these things. But what was the reaction to this book when it came out? Um, well, it's it's um, it's done pretty well. It's um, uh, been translated already to five languages and there are f- there's five more coming. Oh, congratulations. Um, uh, thank you. And um, most, I mean, I get really um, very enthusiastic uh, reactions of people uh, usually. Um, I mean, when they write me and they say, like, I found it very uh, eye-opening, etc., and, and made them, like, a, um, I mean, no longer an angry vegan, but like a happy vegan or something, that kind of thing. It's always <laughs> fun to read. Um, there are, of course, um, uh, the, I have people who, who criticize me a lot, um, but I, most of them would not go to the trouble of reading this entire book. I mean, if they know, I mean, <laughs> if you know that some book is going to like, to some extent contradict the way you think, you probably, I mean, you have to be really open-minded to read it. And uh, many people are not that open-minded. So um, I would say like the people who don't like my views, they, they wouldn't read it. Um, but I get, I get comments now and then on Facebook or something of um, people who, I mean, to be 
pragmatic is to to get your views questioned by the the people who I would call idealists. They would like wonder about like, are you an ethical person? Because uh, you don't seem to follow the rules. Uh, you seem to think that uh, the end justifies the means, etc. Um, that is always like. Um, I mean, yeah, people find that dangerous looking. Um, if you see the end, I mean, I, I think sometimes the end justifies the means. And I like to um, um, to quote Saul Alinsky, who said um, he was an organizer, social organizer, and he said um, the the question "Does the end justify the means?" is meaningless. The only question that 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 is interesting is does this particular end justify these particular means you know you have to look at it at, at, at a case by case basis basically um, but but basically um, yeah some people find um, my views objectionable and it is kind of deplorable that you have to explain again and again that you um, promote these views because you believe that they are good for the animals and not because you want to fundraise or you want to sell a book or you are, I don't know, you, you are struggling vegan or I get all kinds of things thrown at me. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, then you wonder what, what, what should you do? Like, like show that you're working in a sanctuary like five days a week or something to show that you care about animals. I mean, I've, I've, yeah, that, that's, that's not something that bothers me anymore, but I find it, I find it really deplorable that, that people cannot, uh, when when we differ of opinion with each other in this animal rights movement, we cannot seem to accept um, or depart from the supposition, the assumption that the other person cares about animals just as much, wants the same thing, but just has another way of going at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you wrote this book two years ago. If you were to write it today, how would it be different? Um, or it um, came out two years ago. Yeah, I'm I'm still quite happy um, with the book, and actually, I mean, yeah, I could I could update uh, translated versions basically, but um, yeah, I mean, what could be updated is that how far the technology has progressed, and 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 the companies, the startups, that kind of thing. Um, other than that, um, I don't think there's a lot that I would change. I've um, I've tried to write it in a way that is disarming and not accusing to anybody. Um, I've also like. Put some preambles in there about um, being a slow opinionist and 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 making sure to show people that we don't know everything about research, we don't know everything that works, and we should just examine and, and be uh, cautious and and, and careful. Um, so um, you have to be kind of like of bad will to like like read in this book, um, yeah, something, um, yeah, that 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 would like attack other views or something. I think I, I, I did really my best to show that like there's um, complementary strategies and views. And I'm not saying like that the people who um, are not following my approach um, are wrong. At least I hope not to convey that. But what I hope to, to tell people is like that there's that this pragmatic approach can coexist with the more idealistic approach and that the idealists in this sense, I mean, we're all idealists, but that these people should not um, tell the, re the reducitarians or the people who are in, in favor of a more pragmatic approach that they're not real vegans, that they're not have the best interest of the animals at heart. I just try to show that this approach um, has a major contribution to make. Yeah. Um, and what are you looking forward to most in the future of uh, the animal advocacy movement? Um, I think clean meat is something that I look forward to. Um, I uh, I think um, policy change is um, something important. I think what we need to do also is to make sure that um, the, the one um, demographic that is not really catered to a lot is um, is the farmers, the primary sector, because if you look at uh, the distribution sector and the people who process, uh, who produce meat products, etc., there they just they don't care if they work with plant-based products or animal products. With the farmers, they have less of a way out; they have less of an alternative. So it would be good to like really start looking for alternatives for them, so that uh, they um, resistance uh, decreases. So that's I think an important thing to do. Uh, basically, I think that. Um, we can do this. I think that um, the solution is, I mean, the challenge is huge, but in a sense, the solution is elegant and simple. I mean, a plant-based diet will 
eliminate 99% of all the human-caused animal suffering. To some extent, I see this as, as a first step for animals, and then um, I would say like helping wild animals is, 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 the, more, is the bigger challenge that, that we'll take on next. Absolutely. Uh, any call to action for the listeners? Well, for the listeners, I'd say, um, yeah, be as vegan as you can and um, be as, yeah, I would say, I don't like the word educate yourself. Uh, it sounds so like school teachery, but like um, if you can read something about, yeah, how to affect change, taking into account what we know about psychology of people and communication, um, that's that's a really good thing. And also like uh, if you care about this issue, uh, look at entrepreneurship, look at, at business. Uh, there's not just a non-profit way of, of doing things, but um, starting a business, um, using your skills within an existing business, those are, are, are things that really can move the needle as well. And I'll just plug the book. Uh, it's a it's a good read. It's a really great synthesis of what you can do to be more effective as an activist in kind of any field, but uh, with a focus on animals, with a, a lot of really interesting tidbits from history and, and other movements. Um, and I, I really do like the framing of being as vegan as you can. So I think it's just much more sustainable for most people in the long run. So uh, it was a good read and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. This has been The Most Interesting People I Know. If you enjoy this show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. This helps new people find the podcast and validates my self-worth. If you don't enjoy the show, please keep your thoughts to yourself. Or email me at mostinterestingpeople27 at gmail.com. Music is by me. Podcast design is by Jacob Babrowitz.